we are at a very interesting place in the Word of God. And let me share with you what's going on. The Apostle Paul has brought before us a very, very amazing dilemma. He has let everybody in Rome know that they are without hope. He's let them know that they have nothing in and of themselves to count, counteract what is going on within their very innermost being. That they are, he said in chapter 3, starting with verse 9 through verse 18, that there was none of them that were righteous. Not even one. There was none of them, he said, who does good. There's not even one of us. And so he has brought them to a place where they had nowhere to look. In fact, they almost, I believe, became despondent to the fact that they wanted to do more. And so he had to counteract that by saying, you can't work your way to heaven. You just can't. And then he decided, I believe, to use the example of Abraham and David. In the example of Abraham, he used Abraham by saying that you, you, you cannot work your way to heaven. That's not possible. It is not, uh, not a way that God has given us. You can't work there. And Abraham was declared righteous by God because of his faith. And then he mentioned the, the name David. And he showed us how that through David, David came through the grace of God, through the forgiveness of God, that David was saved or had salvation. Well then, Paul goes back to to Abraham, again using him as an example of saving faith, making it clear that, that salvation, man's faith, God's grace are both involved, but they are in no way of equal components. Paul makes notice here, if you're in chapter 4 of Romans, I want you to note something, please. It's critical. He started in se verse 17, kind of set the tone. He said, as it is written, verse 17 of chapter 4, Talking of Abraham, a father of many nations I have made you, in the sight of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. If you look further at verse 19, he's gonna, we're going to read in a moment, without being coming weak in faith, Abraham contemplated his own body, now as good as dead. And then in verse 24, he says, But for our sake also, to whom it will be reckoned as those who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Paul declares an amazing statement, <clears throat> talking about that how our Lord raises those who are dead to life. Probably the best place that this is mentioned is Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, the second chapter. We will look kind of, at these verses, verses 1 through 10, Paul declares in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, that you and I, we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. That word dead there is an amazing word. It's a, a word that means unable to react. It, it means dead like one who is in a morgue. Now watch God's grace at work. Watch. He said we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. But in verse 4, he says, but God. Now, whenever you come across something you're reading in Scripture, and it says, but God, really plays, pay close attention. God is really wanting to get our attention. But God. Watch what it says. Being rich in His mercy because of His great love with 
which he has loved us, even when we were dead. There's that word again, in our transgressions. God nonetheless made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you and I have been saved. In John chapter 5, John writes, verse 21, Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. This example of Abraham and Sarah bringing forth a child in their old age is very important for us to understand how everything works by faith and how God brings to life that which is dead. In Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9, famous verses, by grace you and I have been saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that none of us should boast. We are His workmanship, it says in verse 10. We have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. So let's take a look at this, this statement here of Abraham. But, but let's not look so much at Abraham because, as you're going to see, Paul is going to cross that divide. He is going to take us to the place, those in Rome, where they felt they had no hope and he's going to bring now all of us into this picture of faith. Watch, it's absolutely, this is one of the great places in all of Scripture. We are very much a part of what Paul is writing here. Let's start with verse 17 and read to the end of the chapter, verse 25. Verse 17, as it is written, A father of many nations have I made you. In the sight of him who he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope he believed, in order that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Verse 19, And without becoming weak in faith, he, Abraham, contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, God was also able to perform. Therefore also it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Watch now. Not for his sake only was it written that it was reckoned to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be reckoned as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered up because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. This place in Scripture, folks, is the hope that all of us have in our faith in Christ, that he would bring those of us who are dead in our trespasses and in our sins and give us life because of his great love for us. This is such an amazing place. Now, I was, while I was reading that, the Lord brought to my mind last um, Friday evening, uh, Bill and Dolores and, and whomever all else had a part in the, the Rock of Ages uh, uh, Christmas party 
I, I believe, Bill, it's, it's, it's a, f- a fair statement for me to say that it's not just for us older people. Anybody and everyone can come that would like. Well, I'm telling you, this, this night was one of the best nights I've ever had, and I'll share with you why. During the evening, I don't know who asked her, but April Cunningham shared her testimony. And it was as powerful a bit of, of, of the good news of Jesus Christ as I have ever heard in my life. There was hardly a dry eye in the place. She really was magnificent and did a great job of sharing and giving glory to God for her life and how it was transformed. At the age of 17, she got um, this disease. What is it called? Rise. Rise, yeah. And she lost all of her memory. She was just, it was a slate that was wiped clean. And she had to relearn almost everything from 17 on. And, and she's a miracle. And I wish everybody could have heard her. Somehow or some way, we're going to have to get an opportunity where everybody can hear her. She's, it's just amazing. And then after that, Pastor Fred shared, shared, and he did a great, great job out of the book of Ephesians. It was a wonderful night, and the food was fantastic as always. And, and we had some great singing. And we traditionally sang the 12 days of Christmas, which was more fun than we deserve, you know. Yeah, we were seven swans a swim. <laughs> It was fun. It was so much fun. But I, I just want to just say, after reading that and being reminded while I was reading it, the Lord just brought it to my memory. What a, great, what a great church. What a great, great group of people. Thank you for everything. Let's pray before we get into this. Father, please, let us, uh, let us sense your presence in our midst. Would you open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law? And Father, would you teach us so beautifully from your words. Let the things that Paul has written for us through your heart get into our hearts. For that to take place, I beg of you, Father, that you would move me aside so that I might not hinder what you want to say to us this morning. You've heard our prayers. You've even heard the ones who, Father, have not, for whatever reason, did not mention them out loud, but you hear their heart. Would you please, Father, deal with our lives, deal with those that have these prayer requests. And now, Father, would you bless this time as we spend studying your most precious word. Thank you for Anthony and Vivi's singing. Thank you for our our sharing our finances with you, Father. And now, Father, thank you for this your word. We pray you'll bless us in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, Abraham's original name was Abram, A-B-R-A-M. And you know what Abram stood for? It meant father of many. Now, that was almost like calling a big guy tiny. uh, Because Abram had no children, none whatsoever. And yet, when God called Abram from Ur, he said in Genesis chapter 12, when Abram was 75 years old, I'm going to make you a nation of many people. And yet, he had no children. And Abram began his journey to the land that God had promised him in Genesis chapter 12, believing that God was going to make him a great nation, a nation, and mostly that God promised Abram and Sarah that, that he would make his descendants to be as innumerable as the stars in the heaven. All along, Sarah and he were old, childless, barren. They were like dead Listen to what our Lord says in Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. Listen to these words. If you want to turn there, please do, but just listen. 
After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. That, that means it wasn't even my own child. It was the nearest thing I could say and call an heir. And Abram said, Since you have given me no offspring, the one born in my house is my heir. Then the Lord says in verse 4 to Abram, This man, he says, will not be your heir, but one will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And then God took Abram outside. It must have been the evening time. And he says, look in the skies. He says, count all the stars. If you are able to count them, he said, so shall your descendants be. And at this point in history, in verse 6 of Genesis chapter 15, we hear these words, Abram believed in the Lord and God reckoned or counted to him his belief as righteousness. Abram's response to God was that of a sincere, unconditional, unwavering faith. And so you would assume, at least I would, that the road now, as he goes off to wherever God is going to take him to build this great nation, would be without trials. It would be great because God is there and God says, I will be your shield. Your reward shall be great. But when Abram arrived in Canaan, he was immediately faced with a number of severe tests of his faith. In Genesis chapter 12, he smacked right into a great famine. There was no food. In Genesis chapter 12, he smacked right into a hostile Pharaoh who hated him. In Genesis chapter 13, had a conflict with his nephew Lot, so there was a trial within his family. And lastly, in chapter 15, Abram struggled with fear and doubt in his own self. I relate to that, clearly. Yet through all of that testing, Abram remained faithful to God, who called him until. And here's the rub. Sarah, who was barren, couldn't have any children. She went to Abram and she said, I want you to go to my servant, my Egyptian maid named Hagar, and have a child with her. Now, I don't know what's going on in Abram's life, but Abram's faith was not perfect, as we'll see. So he says, okay. I don't know how that family worked, but that wouldn't have worked in our home. <laughs> not even close. For either end, mine or Kay's. So when Hagar became pregnant, Sarah then regretted her suggestion. And she then and therefore became envious and very cruel to her, her um, handmaid, Hagar. When Hagar gave birth to Ishmael, Abram had an heir. But it was by his own human efforts it was not the divinely promised heir to whom only Sarah could provide and only through the provision that God would give them. And so 13, 
13 years later, when Abram was 99 years old, Sarah was in her 90s, Genesis chapter 18. Both of them way beyond child-rearing years. Barren, the Lord appeared again to Abram and repeated his promise of multiplying Abram's descendants. He says, I will bring forth life out of your barren dead bodies. It's a profound lesson to learn. God's promises can only be fulfilled by God's power. No human effort will help or, or, or no matter how sincere or how clever we might be. It is ultimately doomed for failure if we do it on our own. And to do such a thing, to, to try to, to work up something on our own abilities, so to speak, to help God, so to speak, brings dishonor to Him rather than glory. Look again at verse 20, and I'll show you through three men that I just absolutely love in a moment called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But look at verse 20. Yet with respect to the promise of God, Abram did not waver in unbelief. He grew strong in his faith. Therefore, it gave glory to God. You want to glorify God? Remain strong in your faith. Human efforts of keeping God's commandments or fulfilling God's promises is futile and is a form of, well, righteousness through works. That, that's not what we are supposed to be. That's not what we're supposed to, to do. We're to trust in God in all things. Ishmael was an illustration of the product of human self-efforts, works. Where Isaac, on the other hand, illustrated the product of God's sovereign grace and provision, faith. Paul warned that the Galatian church had a problem. The problem that the Galatian church had was there was a group of people that came in that were false teachers. And they were teaching legalism. They taught that, you know, salvation is good. That's fine, they said. But there's two parts. You've got to believe in Jesus, yes, but you also must conform to the Mosaic law. In this case, they were talking about circumcision. Paul warned them. In the book of Galatians, the fourth chapter, the 21st to the 23rd verses, Paul says, tell me. He asks them a rhetorical question. You who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law, he said? For it is written, he says in verse 22, Abraham had two sons, one by the bondswoman named Hagar, and the other by the free woman, his wife, named Sarah. But the son by the bondwoman, Paul writes in verse 23, Hagar, that one was born according to the flesh. In other words, they gave birth to that child through Hagar, Ishmael, but it was born through the flesh. It wasn't by God's promise. But he says, the son of the free woman, Sarah, he was born through the promise of God. In other words, faith. Paul later reminded the Galatian believers in, in chapter 4, verse 28, those who entrusted in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, they, he says, were like Isaac. They were the children of the promise. That's you and me, I hope. That's us here in this room. That we trust in nothing or no one or anything else other than Jesus Christ for our salvation. And we therefore are the children of promise or the children of faith. 
brought forth by the divine grace, not by the working of our own human efforts. See, Paul showed us in chapter 4 of Romans, verses 1 to 8, that faith comes by pure, or salvation comes by pure faith, not works. That we learn through Abraham. On the other hand, we also learn through David that salvation came through grace and God's forgiveness, as we saw that God forgave David. And that was reckoned to him as righteousness. Paul concludes this chapter, as we just read, verses 18 to 25, by showing us that faith also comes by God's divine power, not by our own human efforts. That is what I believe Paul is trying so desperately to teach the church in Rome and for all of us who study the Bible hereafter. Remember, verse 17, God gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Paul calls attention to the greatness of our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that we love and worship so much, and the one who gave birth to this son called Jesus, whom we celebrate. And God says that only he can bring life from death. Only he can call from things which are not into things which are. Only he can bring forth something out of nothing. That's me. That's you. That's us. You see, Abraham's faith is at work. In verse 18, he hoped against hope. He believed so that he might become the father of many nations. In verse 19, he became, we, he, without becoming weak in faith, I should say, he contemplated his own body, watch, as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old, and Sarah in her 90s. Yet in verse 20, it says, with respect to the promise of God, Abram didn't waver in his unbelief. He grew strong in his faith. He gave glory to God. In verse 21, being fully assured that God, what God had promised, God will perform. Therefore, for Abram, it was accredited to him as righteousness. Hope against hope. Hope against faith. Hope against faith is, they're related, but they're not quite the same. Hope is thinking something might happen, whereas faith is the firm confidence that God will make it happen. That's faith. Verse 19 says, don't become weak in your faith. That is to allow doubt to undermine belief. Now, I want you to know that I don't get all of this. I'm not a man of strong faith. I, I, I'm not. I, I, that's why I think the Lord God br brings into a church, there are the, what is called the gift of faith. You know that, don't you? I think I have the gift of doubt. I mean, because I see everything is half empty. When, when I shared last night, and uh, um, forgive me if this is a little too personal, but how do I start? <clears throat> when we left, when I left Yorba Linda Friends Church, I don't talk about this very often. Not at all, usually in public. I was asked to, but I, I made a vow that I, I wouldn't talk about the depths of it. I'll just say this to you, that it was worse than the death of my father. That's as far as it needs to go. That, that experience was the worst 
was worse than the death of my father. It was, and it still is, difficult. And I was in my, I guess, middle 60s and had no idea what I was going to do. The only thing I knew I wanted to do was not hurt that church. It's the only thing I knew I wanted to do. And so I tried to walk away from it as cleanly as possible, but that was impossible. And everybody thought we had a plan. had no plan, none whatsoever. The only thing we had really going for us was a woman by the name of Laura Chandler. I don't know if you know her or not. She's amazing, but she is a woman of faith. And she came to our house and she said, I'm, I'm leaving too. And I said, don't, don't do it. And she said, yeah, got to. And she would tell you why, but I'm not going to tell you why. And she said, I believe God's going to do some great things through you. We'll start a church. I said, where? We have no people. We have no building. We have nothing. So, oh yeah, God will do it. I can just tell you this. We had no plan. People think that we had a plan. We never missed one Sunday of church. Not one Sunday. God just opened up doors. It was like, it was amazing. It was like, Diane, your, your pastor friend, is miracle after miracle happened. There must be people of faith within the body of Christ. I don't know what we would have done without Laura Chandler. I don't know what I would have done without her. People of faith. Commenting on Abraham's faith, the writer in the book of Hebrews said these words, chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. He said, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, And he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son. He was offering up the one in whom God said, Out of him I will build many descendants. It will be more than the the stars in the heaven. And yet he was going to take a knife and kill his son. Verse 18 says, It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called And verse 19 says, He, Abraham, considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. A type meaning a type of Christ, Isaac is. Abraham had been believing God for 25 years, believing for certain what Paul said in verse 17 that God will give life to the dead. He will call into being that which does not exist. Abraham believed the gospel, this very gospel that you and I understand. He believed it. It was, as we mentioned last week, preached to him. He understood it clearly. And so in verses 20 and 21 of of Romans 4, Abraham firmly believed that the Lord God was capable of doing all these things and more. Abraham's faith prevented him from being discouraged. I'm learning this. I'm trying to learn it. It's a tough lesson. In verse 21 it says, Yet respect to the promise of God, Abraham did not waver in unbelief. He grew strong in his faith, giving glory to God. I said to you I was going to mention... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were there, and uh, King Nebuchadnezzar built this great golden uh, idol to which everybody had to bow down and worship. 
every day that the, the music began, that they would, all the people, wherever they were, whatever they were doing, had to stop and bow down before this image made of King Nebuchadnezzar. Some of Nebuchadnezzar's men came to him and said, look at everybody's bowing down, but we saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were not bowing down before your idol. In Daniel chapter 3, starting with verse 13, it said, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true? And I'll mention these names as my dearest friend, Kenny Hutcherson, does. He says, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and you... A bad Negro? <laughs> I don't know. He gets away with it. I probably shouldn't have done that. He says, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You do not serve my God? You do not worship the golden image that I have set up before you? He says, Now, if you are ready, at the moment you hear the sound of these musicians, I want you to fall down and worship the image that I have made. But if you do not, you will be immediately cast into the midst of the fire, of blazing, blazing fire in the furnace. And what God is there, he asks them. What God is there who can deliver you out of my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer concerning this. In other words, we've already thought this through. We're not going to bow down. Here's what they said. Listen to some, two of the greatest verses I, I love in Scripture. If it be so, they said to Nebuchadnezzar, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. He will deliver us out of your hands. Verse 18 is very seldom read. It is powerful because they say, if it is not so. In other words, if he doesn't, let it be known to you, we're not going to serve your gods. We're not going to worship the golden image that you've set up. You talk about some really just amazing young men. In Daniel chapter 3, I would encourage you to read it if you've not read that story in a while. They threw him into the furnace because they wouldn't bow down. The king said, fire that thing up. Make it hotter. In fact, it got so hot that the men who threw them into the furnace got consumed by the flames. And Nebuchadnezzar stood back and said, uh, didn't we just throw three guys in there? How come there's four and they're walking around? God came and delivered them. I tell you, that's one of the most precious places in the Word of God. I love that they said to him, look, we don't need to answer you, but if we must, the God whom we serve is going to be able to deliver us from your hands. And even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship your God. I love that. Back in Romans chapter 4, verse 21, Abram's trust was in the Lord, not in his own power. Verse 21, being fully assured that what God had promised, God was able also to perform. And then comes verse 22, which is 
the very heart of the entire passage concerning Abram. Therefore, it, Abraham's unwavering faith, was accredited to him as righteousness. That's a legal term, reckoned to him, credited to him, legally given to him, so to speak, as righteousness. He received God's righteousness, not his own, because he didn't have any righteousness of his own, just like you and I don't. You come to Christ, we come to Christ, we come from dead to life. And when we come to life, our Savior gives us His righteousness. In his sinful, dead flesh, Abraham was totally unable to meet God's standard of perfect righteousness. But the good news of the salvation is that the Lord God will take our faith. And in return, he will give to us his divine righteousness, which only, only he can give out or impart to us. Now watch this miracle. Watch this place. Because all of this, I believe, was explained so as Paul could get to verses 23, 24, and 25. Now, Paul writes, not for Abram's sake only was it written that it was credited to him. But he says in verse 24, it was for our sake also. Let me repeat that. It was for our sake also, to whom it will be accredited to those who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, and us as well. He who was delivered over because of our sin and was raised because of our justification. You want to talk about Merry Christmas? You want to talk about Happy Easter all in one great verse? It's right here. Merry Christmas, folks. You've just been given the greatest gift that anyone could ever, ever want to give to you. And it is all because of who He is, not because of who we are. This faith of ours is not only ours, but it is for the generations to come. In one of the commentaries I was studying, I, I was moved to tears. In the book of Psalms, the 78th chapter, verses 5, 6, and 7, it states very clearly, He who established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children. If ever is there a reason we should have a, a great ministry to the children in our church that we should have many of us trying to volunteer to help care for our kids if the last thing we need is to have a few teachers to teach our children we should have a waiting list that the generations verse 6 of psalm 78 that the generations to come might know even the children yet to be born that's us this was written about us that we may rise and tell them to their children. In other words, to pass on this wonderful news of who Jesus Christ is. That they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but rather keep His commandments. The story of Abram and his, his faith is important for you and me today. Not only today, but for the generations to come. We have the privilege of telling our children. You do. You who are younger and, and are married and are, are starting your family, the greatest privilege you have is to tell your children of Jesus Christ. To make it a, a process in their lives that almost everything that they do and almost everything they hear is, is from you is about the goodness of God and how He is so able to care for them. 
and that they represent him. I remember Kay and I had that privilege, and now we have that privilege with our grandchildren. And on Thanksgiving Day, as I've already mentioned to you, I looked across the table at our family, and I, and I couldn't find a non-believer. My, my, my daughter, my wife, my daughter, my son, my daughter's husband, my son's wife, and their two children, and their other two children, all of our grandchildren, all have made a profession of their faith to Jesus Christ. There was nothing more that I could be any more thankful of than that in this whole wide world. Nothing more. Out of death, my life, he brought forth life. He made me alive together with Christ because he loves me and he loves you. He loves us. And so he wants this to be the most precious Christmas you've ever experienced. He wants this to be the joy beyond any and all joy that you've ever known or experienced in your life. The good news is, Jesus loves you. This I know. Because the Bible's told me so. Father, we are saved today on this very same basis in which you saved Abraham and David and Joseph and to Paul and to Peter and Rahab. All these people, Father, did the same thing one run after another Nothing has changed concerning salvation. It has always been and it always will be faith. In the days of the Old Testament, it was faith in a coming Messiah. Today, we look back and have faith in the Messiah who came. And we all meet at the cross. We all meet really in the manger. We meet at the birth of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May every one of us here be able to make that proclamation that we have life because you have given it to us. So, Father, bless us. Bless this day. Make it really special for all of us, I pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.